0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for this podcast is Dr. Jacob Seidel, professor of nutrition and health at the Free University in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, one of Europe's most distinguished nutrition scientists and policy makers. Dr. Seidel has been very involved with the World Health Organization and with other influential groups in establishing nutrition policy not only in Europe but around the world. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Obesity policy is a a major issue in the United States certainly um, where there's great debate about how much government should be involved in in working on this issue to what uh, extent government Behavior should be regulated by by government. Uh, industry behavior regulated by government, and the like. So I know these are some issues that you've confronted in Europe as well. So let's just start with a, a, blo- a broad picture, if you will, of what obesity policy is like in Europe and who are the players, and you know what role does the World Health Organization play and the sure. European Union, et cetera. Sure. Well, in, in, at first, of course,
1: I mean, the nutrition world has been a, become a global world. I mean, in terms of food production, in terms of uh, uh, big companies that are selling products all over the world. And so they are, too, in, in Europe. And um, we have pretty much the same discussions as you have here in terms of personal responsibility on one side. Second, that government needs to protect vulnerable people and, and protect their health optimally, and that... Uh, the industry has a responsibility of, you know, having a social responsibility of providing people with the good kind of choices and, and um, alternatives. And um, I think the biggest difference is that in many of the European countries, there is still this idea that we are being told by governments much more <laughs> what to do and what not to do than here in the United States. So it's it's less... <clears throat> Uh, it's more accepted, I would say, and less antagonized uh, against by both the industry. Uh, and also the industry has less a, a more a, a formal political influence. So for instance, in our way of election and, and government selection and things like that, it, there is no funding from uh, food companies or any other company by that uh, matter. And uh, so the, the cultures are a little bit different, but the, the issues are basically the same but the measures might be coming out quite differently. For instance, if you take marketing directed to children, unhealthy food products to under 12s or under 16 years of age, then a lot of di- uh, different European countries have taken the stance, governments have taken the stance that actually that should be forbidden. You know That should be actually being reduced and minimized to such a degree as much as possible. Uh, and it doesn't really matter if you have a more liberal or more democratic or a more conservative government. Most governments would actually agree that there is some sort of protection uh, for children against the intense marketing uh,
0: to children. It's quite different than in the United States. Yeah, so that's, where, that's where there's interesting. Talk, there's talk about it, but very little in, in the way of regulation.
1: Yeah, and you know, the, I, I can see there are many difficulties because there's lots of cross-border. Cross lo- it's difficult to control the Internet, for instance, in terms of content. So there are many issues there, but for instance, the uh, the marketing to children on television that's been greatly reduced in many European countries, and and sometimes completely forbidden. Um, so that's that's a difference, you know. Although the discussions would be the same, the outcome and the government decisions would be uh, uh, different. Um, the same is is actually true for most of uh, of the policy issues that are around this, is about, about regulation of portion size, of labelling food products. Uh, about um, uh, the pricing of food products. there These are all policy issues that are contentious, they're controversial, and they turn out to be differently uh, operating in different European countries. Uh, but in general, there seems to be a bit more um, pressure from governments for industry to self-regulate or, regu- or they regulate the industry a bit more than uh, than here. So there are interesting sort of... Parallels and there are interesting differences also in the way we approach this.
0: So would you would it be a fair statement to say that the the industry uh, under those conditions is likely to be more effective at self regulation than say in the U.S. where the the government really isn't threatening to do very much?
1: Oh yes, absolutely. So for instance, uh, for for trans fatty acids, uh, there are a number of countries that have, like some states and maybe cities here in the U.S there are regulations that you cannot have trans fatty acids in fast food products, for instance. And so the same companies that make fast food products with a lot of trans fatty acids are producing non-trans fatty acid products in countries that are forbidden. So they can do it, but it just depends on the degree of regulation. And it's the same with salt reduction. You know, lots of governments are pushing towards salt reduction. And there's this threat of that they always start with self-regulation. And if that doesn't work and that doesn't have the kind of um, effects it, it, they are expecting, then they come in and do some sort of regulation uh, uh,
0: in, may, in many cases. So what's your overall opinion of food industry self-regulation? Have you seen it be effective? Is it ineffective? Does it vary by country?
1: Well, by large, I mean, self-regulation has worked in some cases For instance, in the Netherlands, all the the removal of trans fatty acids was was without any government interference or with any pressure from government. It was a a voluntary act by the industry by reacting to the science that was coming out. Um, And uh, so it can work in some cases, but only when it doesn't affect the business side of the company, obviously. I mean, if it's bad for the shareholders, they won't do it. So you need to find measures that can be self-regulated that are not um, at the expense of the profits or of the uh, uh, you know, the, the, the well-being of the company in general. Um, so so, you, but under those circumstances, if there would be an alternative that would be equally expensive and, but would be more socially
0: responsible, then self-regulation can have, play a role. If you look around Europe, what would you say are some of the more progressive policies that have been put in place?
1: Well, certainly I would say that uh, countries like Finland have always been quite advanced in this area. Uh, This is partly because they had an extreme heart disease problem in the 1970s. And so they've been fighting hard against saturated fat and salt and added sugar. And now with the diabetes problem, they're fighting calories and and they're putting a lot of pressure on companies. And they're uh, obliging and they're participating and, and working together with government to provide better nutrition. So, there, there are examples of countries that have really managed to make a very drastic change in, in disease incidence, for instance. So, there's been a 70% reduction in coronary heart disease mortality, most of it through lifestyle changes. What
0: would uh, be an example of some of the things the companies have been urged or required to do by the Finnish government or by other governments too?
1: Well, for instance, the, the lowering the salt intake has been uh, something that the, the government has really pressured them to do and uh, with a, a lot of success. So the kind of salt criteria that we have for breads in Europe, most of Europe, they are way above any standards that are set in Finland. Mm. They are already 15 years uh, ahead of us. And so... Um, that that's an example of, of thing i think that uh, some countries that that are really uh, more have much more a central government i would say like most of the scandinavian countries where which is a welfare state it's it's providing care freely and education freely for everybody it's providing health care mostly freely for everybody so it's high taxes but governments are regulating most of that industry so uh, Nutrition is part of that general feeling that people don't mind that they're being told what to eat and what not to eat because I think that they understand it's in their benefit and they have a a, a history of trusting the government to make the right decisions for them. And that's not true in every country, obviously. I mean, there are many uh, governments that cannot be trusted and they make the wrong choices uh, for economic reasons rather than health reasons, for instance. And I think it has the acceptance of regulation by governments has a lot to do with that kind of perception you have of the ability of governments to
0: really make a change and do it in your benefit. How, um, what kind of a role does the World Health Organization play in establishing these policies? Well, the World
1: Health Organization is, is really powerful in setting standards. For instance, the Global Strategy on Diet, Physical Activity, and Health. Was created by the World Health Organization and is regionally now you know in asia and in and the Americas as they call it and europe uh, playing out in terms of uh, improving nutrition and increasing physical activity, fighting all kinds of chronic diseases like diabetes heart disease, cancer, and obesity and that's that's a major uh, influence so they set the stage and we had a world health organization ministerial conference on obesity. Not long ago, where all the ministers of health si- sat together and signed a declaration in which they promised to make to, to perform action you know to to create action in their own countries and to make things changing uh, to make changes in the the world um, uh, of children you know the, the physical and socio economic world but also in terms of measures to improve nutritional status in children
0: Good. what would you say are the top priority policies that governments should pursue in in hopes of preventing obesity well the the kind of things that we are doing most is um is
1: we think that actually this this starts early you know so you have to provide parents with skills and knowledge and and also um um uh, the opportunities to provide uh, not to provide good nutrition for their children and so it's one of the reasons why we say you know marketing to children should not be done by companies because it's undermining the ability of parents to set an example and to provide the best choice because children will be nagging and uh, asking for the products they see advertised and things like that. So it's undermining the ability of parents to do their their work as parents. Uh, So we put a lot of emphasis on, on, on knowledge and skills of parents in that sense. And then throughout their education, I think it's important to provide enough physical activity during schools and having environments like neighborhoods that are inviting ch- children to play outside. And they have these measures have a lot of different benefits other than just uh, obesity prevention. Uh, they will be, uh, you know, these neighborhoods are pleasant to work to live in and to work in. Uh, you can cycle and walk to work. There are many playgrounds that you can play safely in. And that provides also environmental issues. They provide social issues. Issues and they provide all kinds of other benefits that are good for everybody. Uh, And so we are trying to create this more sort of more healthy um, local environments for children. I think that would be the first setting. Uh, And that needs to be supported by national systems that are just encouraging those developments, I would say. So for instance, uh, the marketing is an example to, uh, to children. Uh, but another example is, would, you know, if you would rate schools in terms of quality, one of the criteria that you rate schools and their quality would be the amount of time they spend on physical activity and on healthy nutrition. Uh, so that actually, if you choose your school for your child, uh, then one of these things actually, if you're ranking have a rankings of the schools, these things count. You know, it's not just the math and they. The language skills that the
0: children learn, but also, you know, life skills. I would say that are necessary, and they don't get at home anymore. Is there much discussion in Europe about changing the relative cost of foods? That if some, if the healthier versions are costing more than than unhealthy products, is there much talk about whether that could change? Yes, there is a
1: lot of discussion about it. Uh, it seems that at least in our government in the netherlands it seems that providing healthier foods at a lower cost is the most attractive alternative uh, maybe offset by some sm- slight increases in the unhealthier products but really to tax foods dramatically is is not a very uh, popular topic both by consumers as well as governments, as well as industry. So although I think it actually, in, in terms of scientific terms, it would probably be a better option to really increase the, uh, the cost of unhealthier options. Uh, I think that the majority of people would, would go for the providing fruits and vegetables to people with low income, you know, freely or with r- sharply reduced cost. And uh, you could still improve a lot of the nutritional status probably by, that, uh, by doing so.
0: It'll be interesting to see how that develops over time. Just like in the U.S., it's a very hotly debated topic. So thank you very much for joining us and sharing us your uh, perspective on things from Europe. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Our guest today was Dr. Jacob Seidel, professor of nutrition and health at the Free University in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org. There you'll find a variety of resources, including a free email newsletter on food and food policy that goes out monthly a variety of resources on food policy issues, interactive parts of the site, and then also um, a list of the other podcasts that we've recorded. Thank you very much.